What did you eat for breakfast? I didn't eat breakfast. I never eat breakfast. <laughs> I was gonna get. I was gonna make some tea. I didn't have time, so normally it would be tea. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 95. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. If you enjoy the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help support me and spread the word. You can buy some merch at store.musiconyourownterms.com and also sign up for the mailing list to stay in the loop. What would really help right now is to go to Podcast Magazine's website at podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot50 and vote for the podcast in their Hot 50 monthly chart. Sitting down for a chat this episode is Ashel Wade, a former VP of branding for a major toy company, three-time patented toy inventor, entrepreneur, cancer survivor, and now host of the Making It in the Toy Industry podcast that teaches aspiring toy inventors how to market their ideas and turn them into successful toys. We learn about Agile's background in creative design and product development, her own clothing line that forced her to learn the fashion industry from scratch, and how getting cancer propelled her career. She also shares a number of actionable tips that musicians can apply to their own business, some fantastic advice on launching a successful Kickstarter campaign, and also some thoughts on different avenues that you could market your music. Get off that junk. It's This week's suggested artist is Five Alarm Funk, a Vancouver-based heavy funk band that are as tight live as you hear on the studio recordings. I discovered these guys a number of years ago and fell in love with how well they mixed various other genres into their funk sound and the raw energy they put into everything they do. Go give them some love on social media, support them by buying their music and merch, and let them know you heard about them here. Here's my interview with Agile Wade. 
Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ajel Wade, who is the host of the podcast, Making It in the Toy Industry. Welcome, and how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Just stressing out about building that course I told you about, but I'm great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so, you know, my podcast is about musicians. Um, so obviously, people are going to wonder, why do you have, um, you know, a toy inventor on your podcast? But uh, first of all, you know, the whole podcast was set up to promote entrepreneurship. Um, but also, I really feel that there are so many different industries that musicians can look at to gain information. You know, I, th I think if you do that, then you actually get better ideas because you're looking outside the box. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about your podcast and, you know, what you do. You know, that's really funny because that's exactly what I teach people on my podcast for toys. I say, look at every other industry for inspiration. Because if you just look at your competitors, you're just going to come up with different versions of what's already out there. For sure. Right. So and but the other reason I wanted to be here is because I find a lot of people in creative jobs always have they, they all want to make toys or they all have an idea for a toy at one point at some mm -hmm. point. And so I just, I felt like people don't know that this is a real thing that you can do. I didn't know until I started. So I, I always try to reach out to creatives in other fields because the toy industry needs better toys. Right. Yeah. And musicians need better ideas for, <laughs> you know, for their products. So yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to get stuck in. And um, I feel like another area that musicians can do is like, toys like i did a toy recently with like a video a sound clip in it and we needed like mm -hmm. this really awesome like it was an 80s boom box toy and i needed like some 80s music and i ended up buying something off of audio jungle but it would have been way better to have some original high quality it was like 20 seconds of audio but still you know there are toy companies like big toy companies that'll pay for music to put in plushes or or products or mm. things like that that's that's an area I didn't even think about, but yeah. yeah, that's really really cool. That's a really cool idea to partner up with a toy brand and like get your music out there. I mean, yeah, that that's spinning my wheels now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's talk about your podcast. I mean, what what? How did you set it up? What was the impetus? Mm -hmm. So I I started it because I was at a toy industry event called the Taggies, which is like a award ceremony, and mm -hmm. I met a woman and she was telling me about her her game idea. And I loved it, but, and she loved it. Like I could see she had all this, she was so passionate about it, but she couldn't explain it to me the way I needed to hear it. At the time I, I was a VP of brand and product at a toy company. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I had the ability to say, yeah, we're interested in your product. Like, well, maybe we'll license it, but I couldn't really get the information I needed to get from her to even say that. And I could feel her energy. Like it was good, but there wasn't, she couldn't just explain it enough to show so that I could say oh you know technically it is also good it's not just an emotional pull I'm feeling right. so I wanted to help her initially and um in tr wanting to help her and thinking about how I was going to help her I had first an idea I was like oh let me do a blog maybe if I just like explain the way that I think and the way that I want to see products come into my office that would help me because you can kind of get lost in the game and forget what you know, but it could also mm -hmm. help other people pitching to me. And then I was like, I don't want to write forever. So I was like, <laughs> let me try a podcast. Let's see how that is. And it turns out be doing a podcast for me is essentially I write a whole blog and then I do a podcast on it. It's like the same thing. It's just a different, you do one in a different order, but it's like the same thing for right. me. But yeah, so that's how it started. I started doing it 
um, just to get myself and my thoughts and my way of approaching toys out there to help other people. And then um, the Black Lives Matter movement happened. And I Mm -hmm. talked about um, just race and toys. I just talked about like what it's been like for me um, and dealing with like everybody wanting all the toys that are even like my like my skin tone. They're like, that's not light enough, you know. So then I did an episode about that. And that's when my podcast like went crazy in the industry. And then since then, it's just it's now it's become a thing. Now it's like it's this is my job. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's talk about your background a little bit. Uh, why the toy industry? Like, I, I saw on Instagram, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, that you um, you you have an AAS in presentation and exhibit exhibition design, but then you went on to do a BFA in toy design. So, yes. you know, a design obviously creative is a very broad field, but mm-hmm. what? Why did you kind of niche down into the toy industry? Yeah, it's so funny. It's like, so I always actually knew I was going to work with kids or I always wanted to work with kids. So when I was a kid, I used to tell my grandma, I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. Then I went through a phase of wanting to be a child psychologist. Um, And then, and and then I just realized I needed to make more money than a teacher was going to make. And then the sixth sense freaked me out about being a psychiatrist or psychologist because I was like, oh, if I do something wrong, the kids are going to come for me. Like, I was, I don't know. That's where <laughs> my mind went. And then, um, yeah. And then I it, it, honestly, it's just money is what kind of brought me to the school I went to. So mm. I, I was at the time very conscious of how much the college was going to cost. So like being a New York resident, I had like two options that because I knew I wanted to do some form of art. So I had two options and it was FIT or if it was like SUNY purchase. And I was like, well, um, I met someone at F- that went to FIT and she did exhibition design. And I thought like, oh, I can do like children's exhibitions, right? I can combine mm-hmm. those two things. And so when I got into the program and I was doing all this like children's stuff, my teacher was like, you know, there's a toy program here. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's not a real career. And I was like, can you make money doing that? And he was like, no, that's like a very lucrative business. He was like, it's a, it's actually, you can. And I did not believe it. I was like, yeah, whatever. But then um, that the, the associate's degree I have, that program is actually only two years long. So I had to go yeah. somewhere. So I applied to a couple of places. But um, yeah, I got into the toy program that only like they let in like 20 to 30 people every uh, semester. So I was, it was a big deal that I got in and I just worked my butt off, made stuff like this so that I could, um, you know, so I could graduate, get a job and stay in this industry. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's totally true that you say it, you know, it's a lucrative industry. I mean, I've already had, uh, Caitlin Clausens, who, who uh, is a presenter on Super Simple Songs, uh-huh. uh, the, the Skyship Entertainment Network, and we had a conversation about the Wiggles and their merch line. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, they, they will easily outsell any touring act. Oh, because- my God. You know, you know your merch, pro- your merch is, is an emotional purchase for yes. the event. But then you combine that with an emotional purchase for your kid. Right. And, and like, you're not buying for yourself now. You're buying for the expression on their face when they have that toy. Yes. So, so bad. yeah, no, no brainer. It's I lucrative. Know. You know, the amount of, like, my, my granddaughter loves um, uh, Moana, let's, for instance. And, and my wife's on Amazon, like, oh, we could get this. We could get this. I'm like, really? No, I don't oh want this screaming chicken doll. Oh. Oh my gosh. So, oh, oh, I have a Moana like right here. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. A posable action Moana. Absolutely. Yeah, she I mean but the, but you think about it like 
you know, a child is going to outspend with with the commercialism. Yeah. I mean, obviously commercialism is a bad thing to I, a point, but mm-hmm. um, you know, the fact that you this emotional purchase is tied to your 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 child is or grandchild in this case. Yeah, makes it extremely lucrative. And then you get this um, adult fandom, right? Like, then you get, right, like... <laughs> for sure. It's just like, I don't know. That's killer. Um, oh, I'm just trying to figure out my notes of where I want to go. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, yeah, so you also do um, a fashion design as well. Um, and you have a, a line called Costumize Me. Yeah, I actually... Oh, now that you remind me, I have an order I have to get out today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the reminder there was i woke no up i was getting ready for this and i was like there's something i was supposed to do before i called in and i could not remember it <laughs> so thanks um no yeah i have a fashion line called customize me and i mm-hmm. started that i actually started it like seven years ago but when i first started i was i was very young and did not know how capitalism worked and i didn't understand how to scale a business so i was like oh i'm gonna make this costume line and it's gonna be like made to order so that girls around the world can you know have a halloween costume that fits their personality so i Mm. custom made these costumes for my friend friends uh for SantaCon because you know we were basic and (laughs) we went out for SantaCon and we all had like you know costumes that spoke to our personalities like very personality driven um and then we took photos and that's how I launched it and it was just completely unrealistic because anytime somebody wanted an order I was like I don't um actually have a degree in fashion so (laughs) I was literally learning everything from YouTube I learned how to sew toys right like this Mm. this little plush zebra you see in the background um, I learned to sew toys, so I I figured out fashion, right? So it didn't make any sense. So then eventually I figured out, I was like, all right, I'm going to make this a something where you can customize it after you buy it. So that's what mm-hmm. it is today. There's a convertible dress, there's a convertible skirt, and you can customize it after you buy it. But then I went to Africa to visit a friend a couple of years, or yeah, last year, and I just realized like so much about myself because I'd never been there before and I'm a black woman. And I was like, this is like the fashion there spoke to me in such mm. a way that I'm like, I need to redo my whole line. So that's why customizeme.com is like under construction because I'm like busy and one day soon, hopefully in 2021, I'll like redo that, the fabrics and things because I just I have a new vision for it. Awesome. Yeah. So moving on, uh, I did, I, I've been, uh, you know, l- listening to a couple of your episodes, and I really liked, and I forget the woman's name, but you were talking to someone about Kickstarter, and and to to just for my listeners, if you want to know about crowdfunding platforms, there's a ton of episodes on Ezell's uh, podcast, so definitely check it out because yeah. it's, it's it's awesome. But what she said was, inventors have to evolve to work with Kickstarter rather than, you know, you you ha- you can't be this. Uh, I think the example was just an inventor that has an idea and does it at the weekend. You mm-hmm. have to be this big business or not big business, but you have to have a lot of stuff behind you first. Yes. And I think that idea is exactly why you have musicians that are kind of like, I just have to do my music and that's enough. But no, you have to evolve with yes. the industry, how it's changed. And I think by looking at the toy industry or looking at this, that, you know, it tells you exactly what you need to know to progress your mindset of ha- how you approach these things. But um, 
I mean, like Kickstarter, I was at CD Baby's music conference last year uh-huh. and they talked about, I, was it Kickstarter? It might have been another platform, but they, they, their basic premise of it was a recording of their podcast and they were saying that the, um, the campaign format is dead for musicians and their angle was it's just so much work because, you know, it's, it's almost not worth the money you get out of it at the end. Um, so, I mean, and that's just an opinion. It's not necessarily yeah. like the, the, the hard and fast truth, but it, 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 from your perspective, like what would a musician have to do as far as Kickstarter? What are some points that you, you really want to... That could bridge the gap. You know, to could bridge the gap yeah. and, and really get them thinking about what they should do. Do they use Kickstarter right now, musicians? Do you guys use that? Um. Yeah, I, I, I think so because it's a good format for um getting an album like if you have a project you want to get going and you know i know you know game game boards and stuff like that i mean if you have that kind of idea for an album and you have this Mm -hmm. book or comic or or game that goes along with the album and you want to have funds but even just recording an album you know having that that funding up front so that then you can go record the album and then provide the uh the rewards at the end yeah. Okay. So I had a really good person on, on my podcast who's an excellent marketer. And so that was the toycoach.com forward slash 22, that episode. I'm pretty okay. sure it was 22. So some of the tips from there, right? Um, she So she actually launched her campaign right uh, at the start of COVID. So mm. fun. And a big part of her strategy was going to be to launch the Kickstarter campaign and then use um, the momentum to push her retail partners who were supposed to buy her merchandise um, to say, look, people are behind us. Are you sure you don't want to get on this before we sell out? And then COVID happened. No retailers want to buy anything. So she had to pivot, right? So this is this was such a great marketing tool that definitely musicians could could do. So she instead, she saw like parents were at home with their kids Mm -hmm. and like, what did they need? And she's selling a book or a toy combo. So what do they need? They needed something to keep their their kids active, right? To keep their kids engaged. So what she started doing was like advertising and trading um, kind of small excerpts and activities related to her product. Um, mm. in exchange for emails and and then eventually in exchange or in as a reward for contributing. So she was giving them what they needed at the moment. So I'm just imagining, you know, when you're doing a music Kickstarter or, you know, Kickstarter for your album or your line or whatever you're doing, that you would want to prepare something that your listener wants or needs, like maybe I don't know, depending on what's going on with their lives, like if it was like during the election, like I've got a couple of tracks that are going to help you chill out because I know like it's crazy what's going on right now. And when you um, when you contribute, like you'll you'll get a free track that's going to chill out. Or if you give me your email, I'll send you this track that will help you chill out during this stressful time Um, or, or like little things like that. Like I would just make sure that whatever like you're creating bonus content like bonus content is king like i do tons of bonus content right that's what i do and then you exchange that for their email and then just stay consistent with emailing them like once you get that email you have to like be their best friend and like whatever type of music that they like make sure you know that like you note it in your email marketing system and so that you can send them really targeted messages you don't want to send somebody that's into you know, pop a bunch of like rock references, they won't get it. Right. Right. 
And that's what I do. Like I segment my emails between inventors and entrepreneurs that I can send out really targeted messages and they have much higher open rates. So I just think as soon as you start like using Kickstarter and you start collecting emails, um, make sure that you know who like know who each of those people are, like segment them. These are my rock people. These are or these are my moms or these are my dad diehards. Like these are like you need to know who they are so that you can email and say, hey, dad, like um, this is music for when you're working on your motorcycle. I don't know. But like just like mm. be like that specific so that you can connect with them. That is going to get people to feel like they're um, like they know you. You need to build up that know, like and trust factor. So be personable. That is my biggest thing. Like people come up to me or talk to me and they're like, I feel like I know you like you're I feel like we're friends. Mm. And that's what you have to like build with your music and music. It's like so emotional. I feel like you can build that so much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. If you think about it. Okay. I think a lot of things, um, a, lo a lot of times musicians struggle with that kind of, well, I'm putting my emotion into it and they don't, they don't really think about how, how primitive the, the emotional connection to, to melody is. And, and then I think they miss the, that kind of, you know, way of marketing it. Mm hmm. Because, you, you know, let's say, um, you know, Eddie Van Halen just passed away. You know, huge, huge guitar, I'm, a, I'm a guitar player, so right. huge loss to the industry. And and you see all this love on, on social media about him, what he meant to people. And then, you know, you people who don't know the music or don't kind of get into music, mm -hmm. they, they end up saying, well, why is he special? Like, why are you upset over this person dying when they're not? like personally connected to you. But when you think about mu what music is and how important it is to the human psyche and where, you know, it just, it's everywhere. Right. You are actually connecting with that person on a much deeper level because they're putting their emotion into their art. Yeah. And you're connecting to it on a subconscious level rather than a, a you know, just a, a logical, higher, yeah. logical and, and language. Well, it's a language, but it's not, a conversation in that sense right and i think people miss that point you know it's such a huge you know connection with people and that's why you're so affected by someone passing away that's that influential no for sure and that, and, and that doesn't matter if, if it's eddie van halen or it's the band that you're following the, from the same town as you if if you're really emotionally attached to that music it, it, it's it's that connection you know regardless Oh, that just, you gave me an idea for your musicians. I Go wonder, ahead. like, I know that, uh, you know, phone ringtones aren't as popular as they were when everyone realized right. they could first change them. But if you're going to give something away for your Kickstarter, what if you think about it being something that will repeat in someone's life so that they, mm. they're building that bond with you? So maybe you're like, maybe it's not a ringtone, but now um, custom alarms are, are yep. I mean, I'm starting to get into it on my phone i don't know about i have an android and people hate that so mm -hmm. i don't know about no Apple i'm an android person. oh you're an android okay yeah. but they now they've like in the past i don't know six months maybe they've introduced you can put in your own you can pull a music from spotify and have that be your sound to wake up to okay so if i was running a kickstarter campaign for music what if you offer something like that like here's like the a morning wake up track and mm -hmm. and like people are thinking like, oh, wow, like this awesome free morning wake up track. But really, psychologically, you're just building a relationship with them. Right. Like you're building this like that's kind of a that's a good marketing tactic right there. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, and it doesn't have to be a wake up track, but yeah, yeah. the idea driving of driving track, is, something, whatever, workout, yeah, whatever absolutely. you're doing, like focus absolutely. playlist or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so just to, to circle back a little bit, you were talking about your, um, you know, segmenting your audience and that obviously speaks to your avatar for mm-hmm. marketing. So how would you go about, um, marketing to the, um, like if you have a new toy, how would you find your market audience for that? Oh yeah. It's like such a hassle. So, all right, actually <laughs> in my course in Toy Creators Academy, the first uh, I think it's the first module focuses on, or second module focuses on strategic market research. And what you really, it's just asking, it's talking to your, your ideal customer. You have to talk to them um, because they'll, they'll tell you everything. It's just about knowing what to ask. So some of the things that I list out what to ask, they might sound simple, but once you start doing it, you're like, Oh, I didn't even realize. So you want to ask them like, so who do you follow online? Who do you follow on Instagram? You want to ask parents, like, where do you go to shop for toys for specific events? Like, they might go somewhere different for birthdays that they go for Christmas. You know, you want to ask them when you're going in person, where do you shop? When you're going online, where do you shop? Um, what causes you to spend more than you were expecting you would spend? Uh, you ask kids questions like, what do you and your friends do with your toys that you think is different from what other kids do? And like mm-hmm. a good example of that is like one of my cousins told me that like her and her friends like just like take apart all their Barbie dolls uh, like bodies and put them back together in different ways. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> but <laughs> she was like, yeah. That's like Toy Story where the, the, yes. the kids got all the weird yes. stuff together. She's like, yeah, we just take their heads off. And then like, and I was like, why? And she's like, well, it's just cool. You can like make new dolls. And I'm like, okay. But that gave me ideas for toys. Like, mm. so and yeah, it's just about asking the right questions. And all my students love the question prompts that I give because it's just like, it, it's it's called um, it's called doing a customer discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Customer discovery, just calling them or having surveys and asking them like, what do you like about, what's your favorite toy? What do you like about it? And what do you not like about it? What's your least favorite toy? What Why is it your least favorite toy? And asking questions like that. And then with parents, it's literally, once you have like a prototype, you're asking them like, how much would you pay for this toy? Or um, how much do you think that this should cost? And just just to gauge everybody's um, initial thoughts and perspectives without any influence. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's killer. So, yeah, I mean, how how could a, a musician kind of leverage that information when they're designing their merch line, Ooh. for instance? Oh, that's good. I would do a survey for sure. I feel like yeah, I would do a survey because I, you don't, it's not going to be as design heavy, right? Because if they like your brand, they're going to like whatever design you put on the shirt because the brand is going to be consistent with consistent as long as consistent, right? Right. Okay. I'm, I, well, sorry, don't yeah, go, go ahead. with Jake, but I do, I work for a t-shirt printing company. Yeah. So I have, I have a lot of ideas around that. I mean, one of my, my main um, thing that I, I promote to people is, make sure that the the art on your shirt is is really cool because you can have people that buy the shirt mm-hmm. because they like the art then they become a walking promotional item for you and also make sure the shirt's quality and comfortable because no one's going to wear this itchy cheap shirt yes. that they buy even if they buy it from you know the uh big big some big touring act yeah you know and it, they're charging $50 for a a one dollar shirt yeah but they're never going to pull that out of their their uh, closet if it 
feels awful. Right. So, no, agree. Desi- but anyway, can, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Um, I would do a sur- I like Google. Uh, Google surveys are good because, and now you can put pictures mm-hmm. in them for if you want to ask design questions. But I guess I would ask like. First, I'd find out who are your favorite, who who are your other favorite um, bands or artists, right? I'd ask mm-hmm. that first because then I would want to know, do you own any merch from them? And if so, where did you get that merch? And then if so, what do you like about it and what do you not like about it? And then I would have them rate like one to ten, like like you're saying, like comfortability. How do you like the design style? Um, and, and have them rate just like different traits like that. And at the end, get to what would you suggest they do differently with their merch? And I would just learn from all of that, but I would try to make sure the artist is a similar style artist to me so that all the feedback can really match up to what I'm going to do. That's what I, and then price point, get that price point information. That's Mm -hmm. important, you know? So, I mean, that, that's a good point. Um, do you have like for a toy, would you say have different price points depending on the market you're going after because like if you're touring um you know you could go to a college town and you could drop your prices because you know they're college kids they're not going to have as much disposable income but then you go to a rich town and you bump your prices up so is there there that kind of mentality in the in in the different markets you're going after yeah so it's like definitely more regulated so you can't like offer the Mm. same thing for a different price because you're literally selling it to a retailer and it's a whole it's a whole thing but um what you do is you just develop different versions of your item for different markets so i have done this all the time i'll have like a really awesome honestly the item i was talking to you about the boombox item um, I developed like it to be a $24.99 item and it was this giant boom box shape uh, jewelry kit with like a button that you press and then like it plays music. But then um, a dollar store wanted it and we're like, okay. uh, <laughs> we're like, um, this is, this cost, like this is an expensive item. Like you can't have this. So, but my boss was like, no, we're going to give it to them because they order a lot of product. So, so what we had to do is we just like, you just create a new version. It's a new SKU. You call it like the value version of this item. And then you just cut the contents by in half, essentially. You cut the okay. contents in half, make the box smaller. So it's very visibly a different item, but it gives like the same feel. Mm-hmm. And other companies will do things like, um, say there's an action figure Moana doll like this one, and say somebody wants it for a little bit less, you would just do things like lessen the quality of the clothes or the or the plastic to sell like when you go to a dollar store versus like a target the product is different in quality and there's a reason for that and there's like like a play-doh container might have less dough in it like you do big changes like that and it's a completely different item number completely different item specifically for low price point Mm -hmm. retailers awesome yeah when you do that kind of uh scaling down of the product Mm -hmm. there's a that i i can't remember the term but that in marketing there's there's the products that you get a lot of uh you know, profit from, and then there's some products that you, you almost have it as a, as a teaser mm-hmm. and you either don't make any money or you're yeah. actually making a loss. Yes. Um, do you remember, do you know what that term is? Well, there it's like um, sacrificial something or no, we don't, we don't, I don't know if I've used the term for it, but like, have we used a term for it? No, like you could call it like opening price point product is usually yeah. like your low pl- price point product, but that doesn't speak to how much margin you're making off of it. Mm. Um, there is a term called like re- like kind of retail arbitrage, but that's a little bit more Amazon focused. That's not, no, I don't know the term for that, but I do know what you're saying. There, There's some 
like there's some items that just to get like so usually at a toy company you have a relationship with a retailer um mm-hmm. and that retailer usually gives you a certain amount of space on the shelf after because you've built this relationship or they give you a shot and you sell really well so they want to give you it again um but when you get an opportunity like say another company goes out of business or a retailer drops them for whatever reason and they're like oh we have a space a slot on the shelf is what they call it for you to put in a new product right um you sometimes to fit that might have to take less of a margin normally mm-hmm. you want to normally you want to do 50% i've seen people go down to 30 20% even um just to get that first like just for proof of concept just to get it in um and then the next year once you have you've a stronger relationship now because you've made something that sold you both made some money and then you can say okay this year i want to try to do this and like raise raise your margin a little bit but it's honestly it's a hard it's a hard sell usually you have to right. change the item completely and change so that the value goes up um yep. yeah but people will do it all the time just to steal business like they'll like go in and say like oh i see you have this item from you know xyz company and i can make it for half the price and then that will double your margin and they'll just steal it that happens all the time wow. so yeah yeah, I mean, in, in the music industry, um, as far as bands, you know, cohabiting the same space, it's it's more of a, I, I mean, one thing I promote is like just the rising tide lifts all ships because everyone's music's different, you know, and I think if they work together and they actually help each other gain fans, you you, you know, you're not going to listen to the same album over and over again. I mean, sometimes you are, but if if you like this album you're going to like your friends band so you might as well share audiences yes um but as far as as far as the price point things um like if you think about your merch table when we, hopefully we go back to uh, regular touring schedules but um you know you have your hoodies you have your t-shirts you have stickers so the the stickers could be the freebie that says hey you know you bought a CD, great, I'm going to give you a sticker. Mm. And that's kind of your giveaway item where you're not making any money, you're actually making a loss, but it's it's an extra thing. You talked about giving away free content. Yes. You know, having those those small items on the merch table and giving them away, it's just something that they weren't expecting because then, then they're like, oh, that's really cool, I get something extra. Um, that is very true. That is very true. I've gone as far with Costumize Me when I've because I did like in-person shows with tables and stuff. I've gone as far as like at the end of events, like giving away, oh, this, what I'm wearing right now is like a Costumize Me like tank top. Uh, I've given away these like at um at events because I'm and, and it's crazy. Like I did it once. I did it once just to see what would happen. And I had like extra ones and I didn't have a place to display them. So I one day I was like, I'm just going to give away these tank tops. And I had like I had like 12 of them. And it turned into like a frenzy. Like people were coming mm. from like, they were coming out of, cause it was a dance event. So they were coming out of these dance studios. They were like, where are the free tank tops? Like we heard there were free tank tops and like people were freaking out. It created such a stir. And I realized then I was like, I need to have a marketing plan in place so that when people freak out about this free thing, that when they come, there's other stuff for them to buy because <laughs> I didn't right. do anything with it. I just sat there and I was like, Oh yeah. Like you could have, I don't, it was like $5. I don't like, you know? And um, yeah. So that, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it depends though. It's like a sticker isn't going to be as impactful, but it depends. For like, sure. It depends because I've had, someone gave me this sticker with their toy. It was like reflective and like really fancy and I love it. So like maybe if you get mm. like a really sticker mule has amazing stickers. Yes, they do. Oh my God. Yeah, I love use, that. We use sticker mule. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and to that point, when I was at the CD Baby conference, they were giving away the shirt. Oh like, yeah, yeah, we got we got free shirts. You know, line up at this booth, and it's like day one. There was a massive line for the free shirt, yes. and they're like, "Don't worry, we're going to have another batch of shirts here tomorrow. Just come back tomorrow." But people I... still lined up for the free shirt. Yes. And they got like stickers on the table and, and pens and whatnot. Yeah. And it's all free stuff, but it's like they're going to have more tomorrow. And it's a three-day event. They're going to have more the, the next day as well. Oh, my gosh. It's such – I think maybe what would be the good thing – I mean, I guess designing the shirt so that it calls back to your business, but also maybe if you just attach a coupon to it or something mm. just to make it easier for them to – maybe like as they're buying the shirt, maybe there's a coupon that they can only use that same day. That might be a good sure. way to use it to come back to the merch table and get like 25% off whatever you want. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I do have a section where I like to uh, do a non-quickfire question round. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? Well, I had cancer in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was scary. It taught me to just do it. Just take your shot. Like just whatever you want to do. I had um, customized me at that time. I'd kind of given up on. And when, and it wasn't just because it, it wasn't working. It was because I was, I was working at Toys R Us and I was killing myself and focusing on my career, you know? So mm. everything I loved, I was just like, not important. Then I had, I was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Everything I Googled said I was going to die. So <laughs> I freaked out and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to like, I'm never going to have my business. I'm never going to be CEO like I wanted. Like I just cried. It was awful. And um, then when I didn't die and I ended up having like a really rare form of cancer that is likely to not reoccur and like the survival rate is like 95% as opposed to 20%. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's just fucking so um when that happened i i was like okay now is now or never right so i started customize me i learned a ton i think that experience doing it helped me get to vp level in the toy industry because i could run my own business and that helped me get that job um mm. and then when the toy coach happened i had this idea and i was not afraid i was i mean like not not afraid but i was I just knew I had to leave my my job, even though I was a VP and I was like, I did this by the time I was 30 and I felt like I've made it. I got to keep going. Um, but because of my experiences, I was like, no, man, like it's time. Just try. Like, who cares? Just throw caution to the wind. So, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I think definitely uh, that kind of um, experience has to has to really push you, you know, if you if you don't let it over you know take over it's you know that's a huge um launching you know platform to say hey i beat this you know what's gonna what's the worst that could happen exactly that's literally what i think like what is the worst that can happen that's awesome yeah so flipping that question around what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey oh my gosh i don't even know can i how can i uh so much um so much like so the I guess the first thing, so much. So the first thing that happened was someone from this organization called Women in Toys reached out to me when I first started launching my episodes. And this is before the racial bias episode. So this is before anyone really was noticing what I was doing. But she saw everything I was doing and she really valued it. She was like, you are very smart. And she was like, I love the content you're putting out there. And she wanted to put me on their platform as like their go-to educational resource. And yeah. 
from that initial that meeting, like so many other things started happening and she just helped me believe in myself so much. Her name is Mary Kay Russell. Love you, Mary Kay from women in toys. And she, she just put me in the public eye. Like she made it so that people could see what I was doing. And yeah, it just, that, that also helped me make the decision. Like it's time to like go out on my own and do my own thing. Like I can do this, you know? Fantastic. Um, final question is what does music mean to you? Oh, music. I So I love to sing. <laughs> Anyone needs a vocal artist? No, <laughs> but um, no, I just love it. Like I grew up my, well, my mom owned a modeling agency growing up, but that also meant that my sister, my sister is like an amazing singer. So she would like, she would sing all the time. My mom and her would like harmonize and I would just like listen to them and be like, oh my God, you guys sound so amazing. Like I wish I could be like this. And then I grew up and like I went and took like music lessons and had like just the most life transforming experience, just learning how to open up my voice. And I, it just makes me feel like, I don't know, like calm, but also excited. I just love, I just love to to sing, I guess. I love music that gives me goosebumps. And then I love singing, giving other people goosebumps. I just, I love, just makes me happy. I don't know. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So uh, I like to play at the end uh, a song from a, um, you, I mean, do you have any of your own music? Or you just... uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I mean, I did write a poem once that my sister turned into a song, but I was 10, so that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's great. It's like very cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so um do you have a a friend yeah. that has some music? Yeah, I reached like out to, to him. Give a shout out to? Yeah, oh, I reached out to him. I don't know what he'll say yet, but his name is Eden James. Um yeah, he was he's actually like semi-famous and we kind of met at like a um a New York brooklyn house party so yeah hey there eden see you doing your big things he's like always traveling the world you know trying to re-up his band and do all these things so eden james just give you a shout out awesome any particular song oh i don't remember his song names why you gotta put me on the spot like that (laughs) (laughs) i've been busy no i don't remember his song name well we'll we'll find out um after the episode then yes that's fantastic um and to round out any any other words of wisdom that you'd like to share about anything you want Mm, okay yeah okay so this is a great bit of advice that one of my mentors gave me um okay and I love this so I live by it uh he always says I always like freak out and I'd be like mentor I don't know what to do in this situation like I keep thinking about these two options and I just don't know which one to choose and he's always say Ajel it is not he's like, it's not these long thought out decisions that are going to like ruin your life. It's the two second decisions. You only have to worry about anything that you don't think about and you make in two seconds. Those are the decisions that are going to come back and bite you. And he's like, but this, you know, you've been thinking about it. You're weighing it. Whatever you choose is going to work out. And that has like given me a lot of peace and calm in my decision making in my career. And it's also helped me slow down and make slower decisions. So (laughs) that's my advice. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, this has been a fantastic interview. Really enjoyed it. Oh. Um, yeah, maybe next year we'll, we'll come and do an update episode. Yes. That would be awesome. Okay. So uh, continued success, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. 
I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. As you heard in the episode, Agel requested a track by her friend Eden James, who I'll be interviewing in the coming weeks for an episode in 2021. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Eden James with Black Book. <laughs> Trouble, ooh, it found me Gonna put you in the back 